0: hey guess what chapter we're on 12. 12 man it's almost like i fed you that but it works good for me it's called developing i gotta do this one longer because it's a longer title godly what is it habits of living that's right Whew, man it took up the whole study let's close in prayer uh, but no let's not do that uh, if you notice there on page 129 for those of you hooked on chapter 12, 129, Developing Godly Habits, he starts off with an exciting question. Uh, there on the left, he says, why am I not experiencing life? Now that phrase there, if you guys have been a Christian for a while, in Christian circles, uh, you notice that that phrase there, the abundant life, I would say once again, is one of those exciting Christianese phrases, right? The abundant life. Are you experiencing the abundant life, brother? Abundant, what, what's that mean, right? Well, let's take a look at that. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, that's where it's kind of based out of, okay? And if you guys recall um, my testimony, which again, preachers can dream, Tom. I truly believe that everyone has every sermon I've ever preached memorized by now. Yes, I've been in the sun too long. But uh, John chapter 10, let's take a look there. Jesus, of course, talking about the great shepherd, and I wonder who that might be. Jesus, that's right, is the correct answer. Jesus, John chapter 10, what is this abundant life? Let's break down this Christianese thing. That he's talking about there. And what's that got to do with developing godly habits? Hence the title of our chapter. Okay, let's take a look. John chapter 10, verse 1 is a good place to start there. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the what? The truth. Hello. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a what? You're a thief and a robber. Now, the man who enters by the gate, he's the shepherd of a sheep, Jesus. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, this parable, this story, okay, to teach a lesson, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus broke it down for him, uh, for them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate. In case you're wondering why I'm telling you a story, it's symbolic of a spiritual lesson, okay? I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were what? That's your thieves and the robbers, the false teachers, false prophets, false messiahs, all the false paths out there, thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them, I am the gate. He says it a second time. Whoever's enters through me will be what? Saved. Now, After you're saved, you just you just stay right there at the gate and you just stay a a dead as a cold as a doornail sheep. And you just sit there and just bide your time until one day. Here's what he says. After you enter the gate, i.e. Jesus, after you get saved, here comes the abundant life. And that's what he's talking about there. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, if you're a sheep, how many guys would say that's kind of important? Food comes in handy once in a while. Hey, John, you're getting into this, praise God. But uh, we'll have to get you up here on film. But uh, uh, with that nifty shirt, I like that shirt. Hey, give it up for John's shirt, isn't that awesome? John, awesome, yeah, thank you for coming tonight. But that's right, Uh, come in and go out and find pasture, okay? This is a good life, as we saw before. Jesus, the way of Jesus, is the best way. All of his commands are for our good. There's not one in here that's bad for us. It's all for us good. Therefore, this way, Jesus' way, the gate, the way, the truth, the life, this is the abundant life, follow him, and you'll have a great life. You'll go in, you'll find pasture, it's awesome. Okay, now what does the thief and the robber say? Oh no, 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 being a Christian is boring. You'll miss out on so much, don't you know teenagers? If you, why don't you go and uh, do your thing, You know, be worldly for several years and cause havoc and torment and uh, torture yourself with memories for the rest of your life that are rotten, and, and then get right with God, excuse me? How about just stick near to Jesus because it's the best way of living, okay? And that's what he says. He says, man, they're gonna come in. They're gonna, they're, after they get it saved, they're gonna go out, they're gonna find pastors. But the thief, all those liars out there say something else better than Jesus, okay? Including our society, okay? They come in only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, depending on your translation there, abundant life or full life or whatever. Okay, but that's where we get, by and large, that phrase, the abundant life. Now, the phrase in the Greek there, what it means there, it isn't just abundant, okay? It literally is in the Greek, okay, is super exceedingly abundant kind of life. I mean, abundance is just one thing, okay? How many of you guys would like to have an abundance of? Of laughter. <laughs> okay, whatever. So what do you guys want, would like to have more of? Lobster? And we're taking some serious detours. I didn't even get on the first sentence yet, John. What are you doing to me? All right, let's abundance of lobster. Now you can have a little bit of lobster, you can have a couple of tails. That's an abundant amount of lobster, right? How would you like to have a hundred? Right? Now we're gonna start talking about gluttony or something, John. What is it? I'm still come on, we've got to get back to the text here. What are you doing to me? Okay, but no, that's what he's talking about. We're talking not just abundant, a lot of, more of, we're talking super exceedingly abundant. Okay? I mean, this is like you're at the buffet, man, here in Vegas, and it's just like, whoa, forget the plate, get a wheelbarrow, right? Right? Dream come true, right, Ruth? That's right. Okay, but that's what he's talking about. This is the kind of life. It's not just a, oh, that's a good life. Oh, that's a little bit better than if I were to live worldly. This is so mind-blowing, over-the-top. This is the kind of life, after you get saved, you come through Jesus in the gate. This is what he's come to give us. You follow those other guys, the other lies, that says it's, it's money, it's pleasure, it's power, it's prestige, all the lies are out there, consumerism, idolatry. Steal, kill, and it'll destroy you. You come to Jesus, oh man, it, it, it's, you can't even contain it. You need a spiritual wheelbarrow wherever you go. Now believe it or not, and that's, that's why I opened with my text and my testimony with this text, and that's why I shared with my testimony, not what I got saved out of, but what God has been doing. Not at all, if you guys recall that at the end, I'm not, the whole point is this not boasting in me. I'm trying to tell you, I truly believe that God has this, because it wasn't just, and to Pastor Billy Crone only, this super exceeding, abundant kind of life. He has that available for every one of his children. I truly believe. Now, why don't we experience it? That's our whole study tonight, we'll see two points of that. But as you saw there with my testimony, I think that part of it is because right after I got saved by the sovereignty of God, eight weeks after I got saved, I got thrust into an environment that forced me to develop godly habits of living. Which forced me, whether I realized it or not at the time, the blessing of this, to right out of the gates, man, as a Christian, brand new spanking baby Christian, to experience this abundant kind of life. Because it comes when you develop godly habits of living, okay? I was forced, now here's the deal. At the school, if you will, at Bible college for five years and then later year and a half through seminary, it forced me to do what we should do as Christians anyway. Every day you need to pray. Every day you need to study the Bible. Every day you need to witness. That's right, witness. Every day it's good for you to be around a godly Christian influence. Now, that's what school did for me, whether I realized it or not, okay? And that's why I'm big on discipleship programs. Uh, Big, we talked about last week with internship programs. This is how it happens. It happens deliberately. I was thrust into an environment day in, day out. I was constantly in prayer. I had to be. I was constantly in the Bible. I had to. I was studying the Bible, okay? Day in, day out. I was constantly uh, with witnessing people as a brand spanking new Christian. I didn't know much, okay? And don't fall for that trap, by the way. Because when I first got saved, I, was just, I just started telling people. I didn't know anything. I couldn't explain hardly anything in the Bible. I just told them what happened. Man, I hated God. I hated Christianity. I thought the Bible was a bunch of baloney. But I called upon for the first time in my life, upon the name of Jesus Christ. Bang, instantly I was delivered from all this stuff. That's, that's all I knew. And so that's what I was sharing. I didn't even learn the Christianese phrase witness. And that's what I was doing. And then you talk about godly fellowship in school, whoo, this was no liberal school, man. These guys were on fire. I was surrounded by on fire uh, godly professors and teachers and leaders and pastors and my fellow students, and we we did night school. So we all were dedicated because, man, we had to work all day and then go to school all night. So we were very serious about this, okay? I'm not saying that day students aren't, but sometimes, whatever. Uh, We'll talk about that later, but anyway. (laughs) Anyway, maybe, uh, but we're, oh, so, so now I'm surrounded by not just teachers and professors and pastors, but students, everybody's on fire, everybody loves Jesus, that's all I knew for five years, and then later into seminary, until I went to that first internship, and you get there, and it's like, what kind of Christianity is this? What is this take-it-or-leave-it stuff with Jesus, what is this, you don't have time to pray stuff? What is it you don't, what? I had one guy one time, he says, you know what? He got saved about the same time as I did, as I found out. He said, well, I think I need to study the Bible for at least another good year. He was dead serious, about another good year before I feel confident to witness. What? Just tell him what happened. You don't need to know the whole Bible. You'll never know the whole Bible. I'll never know the whole Bible. Just tell him what Jesus did for you, Right? Okay, and it was just such a weird thing. I'm coming out of this environment, this abundant life for year after year. And, I said, and then you get the guys that come alongside you. Well, yes, you're excited now. But they put your arm around you, don't they? You know, that old Cheshire cat smile and cheers, But you'll cool down like the rest of us. You know, can I translate that for you? Here's what I've learned over there. You know why you cool down? Oh, first of all, show me the verse that says you should cool down as a Christian or it's acceptable to cool, uh, cool down as a Christian. I'll show you the verse that the Bible says that you should never lose your zealousness or your zeal for Jesus Christ. This is the exact opposite. And if you are starting to cool down in your walk with Jesus Christ, which includes the telltale sign is how's your daily habits of God doing? Something's wrong. You're being seduced you're being trapped and you're headed for some serious spiritual heartache okay what they mean when they say that when you're going to cool down is somewhere along the line you cool down all right because somewhere you stopped your daily habits for jesus you're losing your first love in the greek in that text there in the book of revelation it's a deliberate act they didn't just wake up one day and it was like hey what happened <laughs> the greek has the connotation it was a deliberate act one day you woke up and said no i'm not going to pray today no, I'm not going to crack open the Bible. I'm going to turn on TV instead. And the next day you did it again, and then the next day you did it again. Next thing you know, it's like, man, where's God? He didn't move, you did. You deliberately made a choice. No, I'm not going to follow these godly habits of living. I'm not going to seek Jesus as hard as I did because you're listening to a thief, a robber, and it's leading to a path of spiritual destruction. You have to be disciplined. We'll get to that point, hopefully, in prayerfully. But that's what he's talking about. But if we would develop these godly habits of living... It can stay excited i man dr harden i saw him not too long ago okay before i came here once again was a mentor in bible college and i was amazed that guy man i thought he was there next to paul right in the new testament or something he knew everything but he was on fire in love with jesus and he'd been saved for gosh 25 years or more at that point well, man, how long have I been out of Bible college? Probably almost 20 years. And, so, and I saw him, the last time I saw him, he's still on fire, still in love with Jesus. These were my mentors. These are the people I saw. And he'd be the first one to say in your face, don't you ever listen to somebody that says, it's acceptable to slow down, cool down, in your walk with Jesus Christ that's alive from the pit of hell. And he was a living example. And I got to see that. But you go into the church environment, and it's just like, what is this? What happened? Developing Godly Habits of Living. Why am I not experiencing the abundant life as a Christian? Why is the church not experiencing the abundant life? Because somewhere along the line, you got tricked and seduced into thinking that somehow, given Jesus' leftovers, was acceptable. And now it shows in your behavior and how you treat each other. Well, that's your opening. Let's continue on. In the word from an author, he says, at the beginning of your manual, I mentioned that after 15 years of the Christian faith, I was still what? spiritual run remember that at 15 years i was blessed right as soon as i got saved for the next five years i was in a good healthy spiritual environment he didn't get it till it was 15 years later man good thing he's the only one that ever happened to yeah let's move on i knew that christ had not only come to pay for my sins but also came to give me the abundant life but i had never experienced such a life what Then a broken relationship brought pain as I had never experienced, and I turned my, I turned, it turned me back to my heavenly Father and helped me to realize that. Listen, if I kept trying to run my own life and not yielding my life to Him, it would continue to head towards disaster. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Make up your mind. Choose you this day. Who are you going to serve? The gods of the Amorites, Baal, this wicked world system, or God? It's the same choice that we have today. Well, God used that painful experience to draw him back to him. Does God ever do that today? Yes, he does. He does it all the time because he loves us. He's more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. He'll do what it takes to get us back on track. Okay, he says this, turn me back to God, okay? He said that, uh, that uh, if he didn't yield his life to him, it would continue to head towards disaster. And again, guys, I believe the point. That we have to get this drilled into our heads. I've said it, I don't know how many times so far in this study and even from the pulpit on Sundays. There's not one command in here that's bad for us. Following Jesus, Jesus being the driver, is the best way to go. No question about it. We have to get that solidified in our heart. He's a much better driver. You tired of wrecking your car spiritually? Let him drive, he has no intentions of sitting in the back seat or the passenger seat. He wants to drive you. That's why his Holy Spirit is inside you. He wants to drive you and what? Lead you to a horrible, rotten life. A super exceedingly abundant life that will literally blow you away. Who wouldn't want that? Well, how do you get there? Develop godly habits of living. It happens one day at a time. His journeys are better than ours and he'll take you places you never dream. If you find yourself driving the car, not yielding to him, running from him, man, get out of the car, uh, suck some pavement for a while and repent. Get back in on the passenger side. Let him take over. Okay, that's what he's talking about there. Okay, at that point, I made a critical decision to follow Christ and yield to his lordship. He got out of the driver's seat, okay? That's when significant growth started to be evident in my daily walk with God. And again, I use that to flip around. It took him 15 years to get it. I was blessed by the sovereignty of God. I take no credit for it. I got thrusting that right out the gates. Why is it important for us to be here tonight? Why is it important for us to be faithful in our attendance and studying God's word and fellowshipping with each other and growing our walk with Jesus Christ and Sunday services? Because that's really a preacher sermon make us guilty. Well, maybe. But it's for your good. It's so that we will grow, which is for our good. Okay? Somebody's out there, a Pied Piper, seducing us to do anything and everything but do what you're doing tonight. Right? Okay, let's continue on. He says this, I started to grow, uh, slowly grow my understanding and commitment, uh, living out his attributes, his actions in all areas of my life. Slowly, the abundant life became a reality. As Christians, we got a clear choice. We can choose to live the life of a what? A rebellious son or daughter and be miserable and unfruitful, or we can choose to be obedient and live an abundant life, continually experiencing our father's blessings. Who wouldn't want that? Anybody want that? Every day you get up, woohoo, it's exciting. What's God going to do today? Right? Didn't say that that means that you're not going to have challenges. It's even through the challenges, you finally get it solidified in your heart that thank you God for this hardship because I've learned so many stinking times that you said this is going to work for my good and I can't wait for it to show up. I still win. Every day's awesome. It's exceedingly abundantly, but you got to get back down to this are you really following Jesus? Or did you start out, "Eh," and something, someone, some instance has seduced you away? Maybe the light bulb's going on. Wow, gee, wow. Maybe that's why I've been experiencing disaster and pain and heartache. Okay, here's the good news. You don't have to wait 15 years. God's not like some big old meanie going, well, you've been away from me for 15 months now. I'm going to make you squirm for 13 and a half. <laughs> Before you experience spiritual, but are you kidding me? Run to your father. He the prodigal son. He wasn't even waiting for the, the knock on the door. Hey, who's that? He was out there looking for the guy. And he ran to him. He didn't wait for him to show up. Get back with God. Man, things will go just like that. Pick up right where he left off and keep moving forward this time. And that's what he says. Abundant life, continually experiencing our Father's blessings. If we choose the latter, we need to know something about how to discern our Father's desire for our daily walk and be able to develop godly habits of living. Now, I like that word again because the daily walk, okay, is because this. It is a battle, guys. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but somebody doesn't want you to daily walk with God. Every day you have a temptation saying, maybe later. No, I'll tell that person about Jesus. No, maybe next week. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. Starting Monday, because for some reason that's when you always need to do it. I'm really going to start studying the Bible now. Thank you. How about now? You might be dead on Monday. Happens all the whole time, folks. Okay, daily habits. I've used the, the analogy before. It's like trying to, like, my. Son, for some reason, as if his father never did this. <laughs> that escalator, what do you do with the escalator? What do you got to do, man? You got to try to run up the thing, the one that's going down, right? With mom screaming at you and your wife. But anyway, uh, right? I mean, what do you do? So if you're going to accomplish that goal, John, right, what do you got to do? You got to go fast and you cannot stop. If you stop, what's going to happen? Boom, man, you go backwards quickly. And can I tell you, it's the same thing spiritually in your walk with Jesus Christ. It's a daily walk. The moment you slow down, the moment you start to compromise, the moment you say, ah, maybe later, ah. It doesn't take that long. And man, you're a downward spiral in your walk with Jesus, isn't it? You have to keep moving. You have to keep moving forward. Okay, now, here's the first point that we see. There's two points that he's gonna say that's gonna help us experience this abundant life. Okay, and the first one is we need to consecrate. Right? That's a good word. That's when you, when, you, when you stare at something real hard. No, Tom, that's concentrate. But a good try, though. You almost got me. Uh, it's consecrate, and it really means, in the Bible, it means to set apart. Okay? It was used of the temple vessels. Okay, The temple vessels. The vessels in themselves were just nothing special. But what made them special, what made them holy, was they were consecrated. They were set apart for the purposes of God, for worship. That's what made them holy. We're gonna see in Romans chapter 12 again, what's God say? Holy sacrifice. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, a vessel for him, for his holy purposes. Hey, we're a bunch of crackpots, have you noticed that? But God will use common earthenware, gee, that's almost like in the Bible or something, and he'll do amazing things with it, because the earthenware, no, because you have been set apart for the master's purposes as a holy act of worship of him, his vessel. That's what makes us special as his children. He says this, as Christians, we've all been given all we need to consistently, is your first blank there, consistently live an obedient life, okay? God didn't say, now get out there and do it. Well, God, I couldn't do it before I got saved, now what? Well, he's given you all the resources you need, and that's what he's talking about here. God's provision for us consists in delivering us from the reign of sin, uniting us with Christ, and giving us who? The indwelling Holy Spirit to reveal sin, to create a desire for holiness, that's why sin bugs you now, and to strengthen us, and dare I add the statement there, to give us victory over sin. We have the same Holy Spirit, which the Bible says is the Spirit of Christ within you and I as his vessel now. We have all become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Name one sin that Jesus had to commit. Zero. If we have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us, then technically, spiritually, biblically speaking, name one sin that we're a slave to. Zero. That's why Paul says the great news, Romans 6, you're no longer a slave to sin. We just have to learn to yield to the Spirit's control, and bang, you get victory every single time. I don't want to go there again and blabber the point too much, but we already talked about this. This is why I'm not too big on uh, using phrases like recovery, because The Bible says Jesus didn't come to recover you, he came to deliver you. He came to give you victory, not oh well, I guess you're gonna have to just muddle through it for the rest of your life. The reason why we don't experience the victory or we seem to be in a perpetual recovery state is we haven't learned to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit. We talked about that before. Don't want to go there. You can go back and check it out again if you want. But anyway, he says this. These are all expounded on Paul in his letter to the church at Rome. Now, for most of us, even though we have all this provision for the abundant Christian life at our spiritual birth, the moment we get saved, we still not experience such a life. There's two reasons for this, he says. The first one is uh, the need for consecration. There's your next blank there. Consecration, set apart, or we'll use the Christianese phrase, Dedication. Okay, dedication is probably a more modern vernacular, okay? And Romans 12, one through two, this is what he's talking about. After teaching us about our riches in Christ, as mentioned above, Paul states, I urge you, okay? He says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as what? A living, holy sacrifice. Picture yourself, okay, from this point forward, I am going to be, if you can imagine the holy temple and all the vessels, Oh, this one was used for the water librarians. Oh, this was ones that were used for the cleansing of their hands. Oh, this was the one that the, the table of showbread, what a vessel that was for the, the bread. Oh, this was, oh. That's how we are to be now. God, from this point forward, I want to be a holy vessel for you, for your purposes. Now, when you have a vessel at your house, let's say you have a pitcher that you feel full of water. Right? Does that pitcher ever speak to you and tell you what it's going to do? Please say no, because if you are, we've got some spiritual warfare issues to deal with. Okay. <laughs> no. Right? You just do whatever, the pitcher does whatever you want it to do to fulfill its purpose. We're supposed to be the same thing. God, here I am. These eyes aren't my eyes anymore. I've been bought with a price. The Bible says your life is not your own. We've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He redeemed us out of sin, out of slavery, out of the dominion of darkness from Satan to be his holy vessel for his temple. Right? So much symbolism going on, I don't have time to deal with it all. Okay, but It's great stuff. These eyes are no longer my eyes. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You do whatever you want with this picture. These hands are not my hands anymore. These feet, not my feet. Where do you want me to go? This mouth belongs to you now. These ears, hey, it's all yours. That's what, I, that's what consecrate means. God, has there come a point in time And she said, God, from this point forward, no more games, no more excuses, no more, well, maybe Monday. No, I tell you what, the ultimate acceptable procrastination, especially in the middle of summer. January 1st, that's right, January 1st. I'm really going to blah, blah, blah. Right now, has there come a point in time you say, Jesus from this point forward, I set myself apart for you. My eyes, my ears, my mouth, these hands, these feet, this life is yours, take it. That's what Paul says, I urge you, in view of God's mercies, the, the, the previous 11 chapters was, man, we're all doomed straight to hell, there was no one righteous, no, not one, what are we gonna do? Praise be to God, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he gives us the victory that neither death nor, nor uh, power of, uh, of angels and demons and life and sword and famine and nakedness, none of that stuff can affect us and draw us away from the love of God after all he's done for us. Have you ever said, okay, God, here's my response. I want to be your vessel. That's what consecrate means. Why don't we experience the abundant life? Because has there ever come a point when you've said, yes, God, I want it. And I realize the first step is I have to make a decision that from this point forward, this life, you already tell me in the scripture, but I acknowledge it now, is yours. And whatever you say goes. And if you haven't done that, you'll never experience this. But can I tell you something? Again, that's, that's beyond your wildest dreams. We act like if we consecrate, well, if I were to do that, gee, willikers, I'll miss it. No. This is it. This is where life is at. This is it. This is the greatest life of all. This is it. Why would we hesitate? He's, what he, here's what he says. He says, "As a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable God. That's your spiritual service of worship or act of worship, logical act of worship, logikos in the Greek. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. is good stuff, okay? He says, now, before he starts his section on practical living, Paul urges us to consecrate our lives Okay, since uh, such instruction would be useless unless we are dedicated not only to know it, but to live it out, right? What is a bunch of biblical knowledge if you don't do anything with it? Water comes in uh, into a pond, right? But it has no outlet. We've talked about this before. How many guys just, just, cry? oh, please, Ruth, in that picture we're talking about, would you please fill it up with pond water? I've got to have another drink of that stuff. Someone a some moss, too, would you please? Now, I know we're in the desert, so water analogies usually aren't that abundant. <laughs> but, you know, pond water, have you seen pond water? Scummy, yucky, green. I grew up in the Midwest. There's all kinds of fish in ponds back there. Yeah. Why? It's water. It has no outlet, so it stagnates. It grows bugs. You ever look at the <sighs> close enough? There's these little things going like this in the water. Yeah. Right? Mosquitoes, what is mosquito larva? Whatever. Fish like them, apparently. Yeah. Now, but how would you like to have water that comes down, hits the mountain, and flows down a stream? Same thing. Water's coming into a pond. Water's coming in down from a mountain going downhill. What's the difference? One has an outlet, and it keeps it fresh. What good is it coming every week and you haven't consecrated yourself to Jesus Christ. And praise God, at least you're coming. But you have no intentions on doing it. And I'm so stinking glad that it never happens here or any church on the planet. That uh, the church goes through all that work to get you a disciple and you leave the doors and you never put it into practice. I mean, you always put it into practice because, man, it's like, oh, man. I mean, we never, like, hear a sermon and yo. Know. We we never do a Wednesday night Bible study and the next thing you know, we're off sitting there. We never leave a prayer service and five minutes later, (laughs) we're chewing somebody out. What good is going through all this Christian stuff? What a waste. All the way around. For God, for his people, for you. Why would you go through all that if you're not serious about putting it into practice? When you consecrate yourself and said, from this point forward, it's like, now, put it into practice. When you lead that prayer service, you continue with that prayerful mindset. When you lead that Bible study or that sermon, you continue to chew on it the rest of the day because apparently you're trusting what God says. That's what he wanted to share with you today. So you need to take it to heart. You might get more out of it, okay? But put it into practice, he says. As Charles Ryrie states, before any lasting progress can be made on the road to spiritual living, the believer must be a dedicated person. Okay, a dedicated person is what your next blank is there. Although this is not a requirement for salvation, we're not trying to earn our way there. But this is what he says there in the next blank, the basic foundation for, here's another Christianese phrase we saw, sanctification. Aha! Which as we saw, break it down, it simply means maturity. Okay, that's good, but in the context of our study, maturity is basically the pathway to the abundant life. The pathway to abundant life. Dedication or consecration is a complete crisis commitment of self for all the years of one's life. Such dedication can be triggered by some problem or decision that has to be faced, but it concerns a person, the child of God, not an activity or ambition or plan for the future. Dedication is a break with one's own control I'm gonna tell myself what to do every single day. I'm not gonna ask God, God is on the back burner. He only comes in on Sundays and if I'm really spiritual, Wednesday nights. No, that's not consecration. It is, I give up control. Every moment of the day, God, what do you want me to do? You're in that communion, walking with him, having that prayerful mindset, ceasing without prayer. As he says, you're always in communication with God. You're just talking to him all the time. In your head with whatever, God, what do you want me to do in this? God with this, or or God, thank you for that, or God this or God that all day long. Not just for a couple hours a week. You've given up control. And 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 giving up that control is your next blank again to the Lord, it does provide the basis for solution, growth and progress in the Christian life. Thus, we must come to the point in our lives where we are willing to make Jesus Christ Lord over all our life. This means that when he shows us areas of our life, that are out of line and his word and will, we are ready to turn those areas over to his Lordship, admit it, Don't rationalize it. Don't excuse it. Don't fake it. Don't act like it's not real as if we could ever fool God. Just deal with it and give it over to him. Allow the spirit to transform our attitudes, our actions in that area he desires. Consecrate. Why don't we experience the abundant life? I mean, the life that's just, I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's the best way to go this side of heaven. Two things, I say, how bad do you want it? I often tell people a lot. How bad do you want it? Oh, Pastor Billy, I'm having trouble with this, and that, that, How bad do you want it? Do you really want it? You just want just, you know, our society, everything's just quick, chop, chop, chop. Just give me a quick solution. I'm gonna move on to the next thing. How bad do you want it? How bad do you really want the abundant life? How bad do you really want that victorious life that Jesus came as the good shepherd? Are you, are you, are you willing to commit? and give up complete control? Again, the moment that we say that word, give up control, there's something inside of us, dare I say the sin nature, that says, no! I can't do that, I'm missing out, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because giving up, don't you see, there's so many paradoxes in scripture? You wanna be the greatest, you gotta what? You gotta be the least, right? You wanna be at the front, you gotta what? (laughs) How many times, right? If you want to find out what Jesus say, life, you got to first give up your life. Then you will find it. It's the same thing here. Giving up control is the pathway to blessings, okay? And how much do you love him? Paul, the context. Remember all he did for us? Took 11 chapters, woo! we all deserve to die and go straight to hell yeah 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 but by the mercies of god we're safe completely headed straight to heaven yeah is it really a tough decision after all that oh gosh i guess i'll have to spend the rest of my very short time in the span of eternity for jesus and it's a horrible it's a great awesome life I mean, even if he said, yeah, consecrate yourself for a super exceedingly rotten life, he still deserves it after all he's done. But he's talking about a great life. Maybe we'll get to that in a second. The second thing is this. The second reason why we do not experience the super abundant life that Christ purchased for us on the cross is the fact that we have not developed, okay? Developed our film from vacation. No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about, Byron. Okay, he's talking about Discoplem, Okay discipline okay because it's one thing to make that decision right then how does it happen well when you fall asleep at night on the pillow you wake up the next day the angel of god sprinkles dust on your head and you're now that unfired christian no you can make the choice but you got to follow it up with step two every single day discipline right this is common sense for some reason, I think we act like this is a mystery when it comes to spiritual issues. No, it's not. Let's throw it off into something else. Let's say you made a decision. I'm going to consecrate the rest of my life to play for the Detroit Lions. Right, John? Right. right. And obviously, I will be the football. It's the only position I could probably play. <laughs> anyway, <that's right. laughs> but I'm going to be the best football ever. No, <laughs> but let's say I decided I'm going to commit the rest of my life to be a football player. Right? Now. Yeah. So I made that decision, that's a good decision, that's the first step, now what's it take to pull it off? Every single day, man, you gotta put in the time, you gotta get to the gym, you gotta practice, you gotta do this, you gotta listen to the coach, you gotta work with the teammates, you gotta do this, and develop, and develop, and develop, and develop, and develop, until it starts to bear fruit. I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to be, I'm gonna be Tiger Woods, that's right. And I could do that, John, when he's maybe in the hospital and something. When, I, when he's not playing, I could beat him, but that's about the only time. But I won't go there. <laughs> I can't golf. With it. Anyway, but okay, let's say that was my goal. I consecrate myself the rest of my time here on earth. Okay, just by way of analogy, I'm not con- not, this is not what I'm trying to accomplish here. To be the best golf player on the planet. I made that decision. That's great. Now what do you got to do? You gotta get out there, man, and you gotta be disciplined. You gotta develop, you gotta work on it, you gotta adjust, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And then after a while, I'll start to bear fruit. That's the same thing. We might get to this point. This is what is to me is important. We have people that come forward on Sundays and what? Re what? Dedicate. What are they doing? Okay, Jesus, I've been off on track, but from this point forward, now I'm following you. Either for the first time, truly so, even if they are saved, because sometimes Christians don't get that. Remember? 15 years for this guy. Or maybe they took a detour and they're getting back on track. But from this point forward, and I hope from that point forward, that's not all it was. Because if it stays there, you'll never become that football player. That, you see know what I'm saying? You have to, after the consecration is made, get into the issue of developing that. And that's what he says here. That's the second reason why. Uh, the developing godly habits uh, takes not only a consecrated life, but a life of personal Discipline. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he writes, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Living a godly life is not something that occurs by accident. You don't become the greatest football for the Detroit Lions by just sitting there as a football. You gotta work at it, right? You gotta roll around. You gotta put pigskin on you or something. I don't know. But anyway, you don't become the world's best golf player by just sitting there. It doesn't happen by accident. You can't just read a book on it. It's deliberate, that's what he says. It comes when we consecrate ourselves and then pursue godliness through godly discipline. The Greek word translated discipline, our text, we saw this before, where we get gymnasium, and it means to exercise. Is your blank there, exercise. It's not the aesthetic struggle of the individual for his moral or religious perfection. It's the training necessary for the unhindered, underline this, unhindered pursuit of God's purposes. I'm not setting myself apart to be the best football player or football or golf or golf ball. I'm setting my part to be the best Christian for Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Now what? Every single day. No excuses, no compromise, no on Mondays, no January 1st, now. And that's how it begins to take place, okay? Paul's command to Timothy comes in the context of confronting false teachers and sound doctrine with sound doctrine. The discipline of observing religious rules, okay, is of little profit eternally, but training ourselves for godliness holds promise for this present life, i.e. the abundant life, and for the life to come. How many times have you seen Christians that have dedicated themselves to knowing the scripture, but their lives are horrid? W- what good is that? If all you do is come to the Christian life and it's a bunch of do's and don'ts, and I can wow people with my biblical knowledge, but there's no reflection in in the life, what hypocrisy! It's for the purposes, what's he say there, okay? Of the purpose of training ourselves in godliness, okay? He says training in godliness expresses itself in godly character. I don't care how much Bible you know, honestly, with all due respect. And can I tell you something? Neither does God. How much of it is reflected in how you speak and act and live and behave and treat each other and other people? I'll take one Christian who can only spit out one verse, who loves Jesus, than a Christian who knows more of the scripture than I do, which there's plenty of them, but lives like a hypocrite. Okay, that's what he's talking about, His character. And he encourages Timothy, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example to those who believe. And the last thing to note in this passage is that discipline and godliness is tied very closely to sound doctrine. What we believe will affect how we live. We need also to be reminded here that the motive from which we pursue biblical knowledge is important. Uh, the Bible was written not to satisfy your curiosity, but to what? conform you to the Christ's image, not to make you smart, I love this, not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. Our lives are transformed, your last blank there, when we are trained by God's word and develop godly habits of living as a result. I wanted to close with some examples of what does it look when you're actually truly consecrated to him, And what happens when you don't just make that decision, but every single day you are disciplined? This is what I believe the abundant life looks like. First, see if you can guess who these people are. He's considered to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time, who literally shook two continents for God. And it all started one Saturday when a person just happened to approach him while he was working at a shoe store, just a simple shoe store guy. And they simply said to him, I wanna tell you how much Christ loves you. So he knelt down right then and there and he was saved. And later he told how he felt. He said, I was in a new world. The birds sang sweeter, the sun shone brighter. I'd never known such peace. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. He set himself apart right then and there, but he did something about it. The next thing you know, he started his own Sunday school. Didn't have a place. I don't think the church then, because he was a new convert. Right? Can't trust those people. So I don't think they let him use the facility. So he decided, but I got to bring the people to Jesus. He he was big on Sunday school. So he, 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 Uh, met in a Sunday school class in an abandoned freight car. Wow, shame on the church. And then moved into an old vacant saloon. (gasps) Then the class became so large that the former mayor of Chicago gave him the hall over the city's North Market for his meetings rent-free. And shortly after that, he produced the largest Sunday school in Chicago, reaching 1,500 kids every single week. One guy. One guy branched to make a new Christian. One guy who was consecrated to Jesus Christ. And every single day, oh, you mean we're supposed to go get people, not wait for them to show up? That's pretty cool. How many guys would like to have that kind of life? Can you imagine single-handedly being used by God to have a class of 1,500 Sunday school students? Tom? No. That's the tip of 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 the iceberg of the super abundant kind of life. But that's more. Then he had an encounter with a dying Sunday school teacher who said he was greatly concerned about the salvation of the girls in his class. So this dying teacher rented a a carriage for himself and this man, and he went to the girls' home, okay, and he won every single one of them to Jesus Christ. And this so moved the man so much that soul winning seemed to be the only important thing to do from then on. So he made a vow to tell at least one person about the Savior every single day. Then, later, another evangelist shared with him these words, the world has yet to see, listen, what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully consecrated to him. And those words so burned in his soul, you know, maybe it was at a point when he was at a Wednesday night Bible study and they were talking about the need to consecration. But it so affected this guy that when all was said and done, this one Christian man led as many as one million people to Christ. One Christian. One Christian. Worked at a shoe store. His name was Dwight Moody. I'll give you just one more example. Because this to me is an example of the need of prayer. That's definitely evangelism and teaching. You know, Christian stuff. This one is an example of prayer and faith. Trusting God for the impossible. He may have started out living a life of sin, but when this man got saved, he became one of the greatest examples of faith and prayer this world has ever seen. And it all began, listen to this, when he was studying for the ministry. Not because he wanted to serve God or help others. No, he wasn't even saved. What? People go to seminary and Bible college that aren't even saved? Got lots of stories, folks. Okay, and he he thought it would just be an easy, comfortable way to earn a living. Right, Pastor Jim? Ministry, piece of cake. Yes, we'll talk about lying later, but that's right. Uh, Anyway, uh, even with his bad motives, God still met him at a prayer meeting, and the next thing you know, he did get saved, okay? And it didn't take long to see the fruit of his salvation either. Immediately, he began to preach and minister to those in need wherever the Lord would open the door. You know, you consecrate yourself. Okay, God, you save me from hell, praise God. I just got this little wisp, this little vapor uh, before I get to heaven, so man, there ain't much time left. Um, I'm living for you now every single day. We're seeking you, and then what happened? Well, eventually, uh, his desire to help others eventually led him to open an orphan's home for 26 girls with zero financial assistance, okay? But that was just the beginning. Soon, all of a sudden, he had five orphanages and was feeding 2,100 orphans every single day, and he never asked anyone ever for support. He never even passed a plate. Listen to what he said. Because he had learned early on that God would simply supply his needs through the power of prayer. You see, when God put it into his heart to build these orphanages, the man had 50 cents in his pocket. So he simply prayed and trusted God to supply the need, and boy, did he ever. In all the years of serving the orphanages, God always provided for the children. They never missed a meal, even though this man, listen, he never once asked a soul for money. Ever, okay? And so what he did, for instance, give you an example. One time the children were dressed and ready for school, but there was no food for them. Just one of the typical days this guy went through. So this man simply took, in faith, the 300 children into the dining room, had them sit at the tables where he proceeded to thank God for the food they were about to receive and simply waited. They're all just sitting there. And there's nothing, there is no food. But he prayed and thanked God for the food. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door, and said, quote, last night I couldn't sleep, and somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up at 2 a.m. this morning and baked three batches for you, I'll bring it in, okay? So they not only thank God for the bread, but for fresh hot baked bread for all the kids, okay? Then all of a sudden there was another knock at the door right after the baker left, and it was a milkman. It just so happened his cart broke down in front of the orphanage, And the milk was going to spoil by the time he got it fixed. So we asked them if they could use some milk. And so we not only brought in 10 large cans of milk, but it was exactly enough for 300 thirsty kids. And on and on and on it went, day after day, month after month, year after year, no less than 10,000 orphans were carefully cared for by this faithful kind of prayer and dependence on God. In fact, when all was said and done, God poured out, it's been estimated upon this one Christian man in response to his simple faith and prayers to God, trusting him, asking nobody, God gave this man $7,500,000, all for the purposes of the master. His name is George Mueller. He was consecrated to God. And so in closing, to bring it home, I look at us. These are just normal average guys. One. How many of us here tonight? What would happen if all of us at sunrise not even the whole congregation but just us here tonight really truly consecrated ourselves to God tonight and then showed it starting now not even tomorrow developing that godly discipline do you think it's only reserved for a select few or did these men tap into what Jesus told us, if you would just come to me as the good shepherd? Man, when you come in the gate, you're going to get saved. And when you get saved, man, you're going to go in and find pastures. It's going to be awesome. I'm not going to give you just a life. It's going to be a super exceedingly abundant kind of life. How many of you guys would like to be a Christian for God's glory, not for our own boasting? That one day in the future, if God should tarry him, and the rapture hasn't occurred, that a church in the future is reading the story and go, Wow, and his name was Tom Roseberry. Right? Oh, and that's all that happened. They did this, man. They trusted God for this and there were so many souls got saved and her name was Modell. They're Christians just like us. How bad do you want it? And how much do you love them? His way is the best way. It doesn't stay with good intentions. It's a deliberate choice followed by deliberate acts every single day. And that's what excites me because I believe God is already doing great things here at Sunrise and we're still just scraping the surface. But man, if we really get serious and consecrate ourselves, he's going to blow us away with what he's going to do. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the the another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from Him even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody if you did it without permission that's stealing and so now you've become a thief the bible says that you shall not use the lord's name in vain and how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved the name jesus christ has now become a common cuss word the bible says that god is so holy that even his name is holy if you've taken the lord's name in vain And used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well again the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same As the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, They they cannot reverse it. The the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row.